Leah and I, in order to produce this, we analysed the latest Gartner reports, the latest Forrester reports, the latest LinkedIn, Salesforce, whoever has gone out there and done the research and studies. We analysed all of what they had done. And we kind of pulled out the common themes that came out of those. What we then also did was compared it to our highest performing campaigns. So we could then really take a sense check as to what are the top 10. So the reason Leah and I pulled out ROI is king was because one of the latest Gartner CMO studies found that marketing budgets have actually been on the decline. And last year were the lowest it had been in over seven years. Welcome to the Redefining Sales podcast, where we reimagine and redefine sales in a digital world. In this new series, we have absolutely scoured the world to bring you only the best of the very best. We will be working with each of the thought leaders to unpack all of their years of experience, their pearls of wisdom and nuggets of gold into bite-sized chunks that will enable you to redefine your sales. Welcome to this week's episode of the Redefining Sales podcast. This week, I have an extra special guest, which is the lovely Leah Harley. Leah is one of our team members here at Sales Redefined and has been with us for the past year. Um, Prior to that, she has over 15 years experience in marketing. Um, uh, The most recent experience was in the AV industry. Um, Leah is just absolutely awesome. She works on some of our largest clients, some of our most strategic projects, um, and just brings a wealth of experience. And what we do in this week's episode is we go over the 10 2022 marketing and sales trends that we believe are going to be big. Now, I come at it from a bit of a sales background and sales experience. Leah comes at it from a bit of a marketing background. So together, we're kind of combining and doing what we do best here at Sales Redefined and talking marketing and pulling the two together. So sit down, grab your coffee, grab your pad and pen, because there are so many nuggets of gold in this episode and enjoy. Welcome to the Redefining Sales podcast. This week, we have someone extra, extra, extra special, which is the lovely Leah Harley. No pressure at all. Um, Leah is our sales and campaign, sales and marketing campaign manager at Sales Redefine. She works on some of our best clients. Um, She works across multiple projects. She has been in marketing for 15 years plus. I think I just made that up. Makes me sound really old. Thanks. (laughs) She's been doing it for two years and she uses really good face cream. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. It's all in the cosmetics. (laughs) Um, so all of that to say, Leah has a world of experience. And today, what the two of us are going to be talking about is the top 10 B2B marketing trends that you need to know to drive growth in 2022. And what I'm particularly excited about, and the reason I asked Leah along, other than the fact that she's awesome and brings a wealth of experience, <laughs> is I kind of come from the sales background and I kind of learned some of the marketing, whereas Leah's come from the marketing background and has learned some of the sales. So the two of us Correct. together, we're smart. the A team. Correct. <laughs> I was like A team, but as we would say, we are marketing. Uh, yeah, it's good to get the two sides of the perspective, I think. Um, yeah. And I think that's what you'll get a lot of from this chat. So you'll hear one perspective from me coming at it from a sales angle. You'll hear another perspective from Leah coming at it from a marketing angle. So should we dive in, Leah? We shall go for it. I'll let you kick it off. So trend number one of 10, drum roll, please. I need a little drum, is ROI is now king. So I think ROI has always been king. Certainly for me, coming from the sales background, there's always been an element of, you know, the results speak for themselves, proof is in the pudding and all of that. But what we found in our research Um, So I guess I probably should step back for a minute and sort of say, Leah and I, in order to produce this, we analysed the latest Gartner reports, the latest Forrester reports, the latest LinkedIn, Salesforce, whoever has gone out there and done the research and studies, we analysed all of what they had done. And we kind of pulled out the common themes that came out of those. What we then also did was compared it to our highest performing campaigns. So we could then really take a sense check as to what are the top 10. So the reason Leah and I pulled out ROI is king was because one of the latest Gartner CMO studies found that marketing budgets have actually been on the decline. And last year were the lowest it had been in over seven years. 
and was expected to continue this year. So if you've got less budget, you're obviously having to spend it more wisely. Um, a right. lot of those nice to have drop off and you have to be a bit more ROI focused. So Leah, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, definitely. I think, you know, I think whether you're coming from a sales perspective or department or marketing department, you're both required to produce an ROI. So I think for sales, it's all in your targets. But for marketing, I know you are expected to produce an ROI. And I've always found it, you know, it is trickier for marketing because it's so, you know, it's magic and sprinkles and unicorns and rainbows, you know, like it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a bit of video and a bit of content, and a bit of social. And, you know, sometimes it is really hard to measure that ROI, um, especially when you're really leveraging, you know, sales to kind of help drive your campaigns forward. So I think, you know, one of the main things that I love that we really promote is that integration between sales and marketing because um, it's super important to make sure everyone's on the same page. You know, marketing are creating the campaigns with sales buy-in, but then, you know, um, sales are running and promoting and nurturing the campaigns. And, you know, it's kind of that hand-in-hand we all love each other and, you know, we've got each other's backs and that's, you know, the best ROI, ROI results that we can kind of find um, in terms yeah. of producing those ROI results. So, yeah, I think that that's really key because I know that's something that, you know, in my previous marketing lives, you know, I've been that marketing department. I've been the one going, I've come up, we've come up with this amazing campaign and we just bleh, and roll it out and then you get calls from sales saying, what are my customers receiving? Like, what are you doing? What is it? Like, they've got some EDM. Like, what's what's the offer? What are we running? And so, yeah, definitely getting us everyone on the same page, you know, gets them invested in driving the ROI for the campaign, which helps marketing if sales are helping to promote, deliver it. Yeah, I agree. I think the two things I'm finding in this space, one is, um, I'll give you an example, we've got a campaign at the moment and someone said to me, oh, but what's producing the result? You know, is it coming from the EDMs? Is it coming from the paid ads? And actually, when you look behind it, you can't just say, well, for the sake of argument, right, we're going to stop the EDMs because they're not working. Because Mm. actually, take that example, the EDMs were what got the awareness and the initial attention. And in our language, you know, we often talk about sales as dating, produced the first date that then allowed us to do paid advertising and retarget them because they visited the website and enabled the second date. And so for me, it's that multiple touch point. You know, we know people need over 12 touch points in order to be able to buy. Um, and so you can, it's really hard when it comes to ROI and attribution because it's not just one thing or one silver bullet that drove that result. It's the multiple touch points and you can't just pinpoint it to one. So I think that's what makes it harder. Yeah, definitely. And I know, you know, not all sales. Again, I feel like I'm, you know, from the other side of the fence. But, you know, some salespeople I've worked to, you know, are waiting for that silver bullet. You know, it's, you know, marketing going to give me the easy option and it's going to go out and it's going to be amazing and my inbox is going to flood with thousands of leads. But, I gosh, we wish it was that simple. But, unfortunately, it's not that simple. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a multifaceted approach, not just sort of your one-hit wonder that's going to save the day. Yeah. And I think from... Um, so a final point on that one, I think that it, what Leah's been talking about, about bringing sales and marketing together mm-hmm. and, you know, our word that we love to use, marketing, that, you know, when we did an analysis of our highest performing campaigns of 2021, it was when both sales and marketing got on the same page. They got on the same team, on the same bus. Um, and yeah. we really got insights from both of what are you hearing from from your clients right now? What is working? When do you win? When do you lose? Um, what do you want to see? Um, what are the hot topics you're hearing about? And then formulating the campaign with insights from both. And then on the execution, it's down to both. So marketing can do their side with some of the EDMs and the automations and the socials. But sales also need to step up and do their side. You know, we know that 96% of the content you consume is unbranded. And we Mm. follow people, you know, we follow Richard Branson, not Virgin. So by the salespeople promoting, sharing, and so on, we've seen that drive even better results. So yet our best ROI campaigns are when people think marketing. Definitely agree. Number two, should we move on to number two? Go to number two. Number two, um, taking a leaf out of B2C's book. I like this one. So what we mean by this, <laughs> I love this one. Um, I love this one. What we mean by this is, so a couple of different examples. Um, Salesforce have just launched their on-demand content. I'm trying to find the name of what they called it. I want to call it Salesforce Plus. Yes, Salesforce Plus. 
um, which is their streaming service. And so they're becoming a bit like Netflix and they're becoming, you know, that on-demand content provider. Um, So that's sort of one example. The other thing for me, you know, I notice when we're building sales funnels and some of what we're doing around digital sales funnels, B2C have been doing this stuff for years, but it's never, it's never crossed over it's never crossed over into B2B because it's always been a bit more of a traditional sales model. So I would say some of what's been mainstream in B2C in terms of digital automation, retargeting, sales funnels, that's coming over. And then I think the other final point on this that's sort of coming over um, is also that human aspect. You know, we watch Big Brother, we watch Celebrity Apprentice, we watch Gogglebox. Um, we just nosy. Everyone's just a bit of a stalker at heart, I think. Yeah. Human <laughs> <laughs> element, but you know, seeing the real, the realness of it, like the real people. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that one of the things that I love, um, it's actually a really good study on this. Um, YouTube have a division that analyzed all of the different videos. Um, it's called Unskippable Labs, and they looked at what does it take to make it unskippable, and I have to watch this. And they used L'Oreal, and they had like a traditional perfect L'Oreal video that you would expect. They had one that was kind of in the middle and one that was like the intern in the cupboard with her iPhone. And that grippingly human, as Julie Masters, who we love, calls it, that grippingly human almost on your iPhone, informal, casual, that we've seen a lot of in B2C, Um is actually starting to come through to B2B. Like if you'd have said a few years ago that you would put on your LinkedIn profile something filmed on your iPhone that wasn't perfect staged, it would be considered unprofessional. Whereas Correct. now I think it's being considered real. Leah, thoughts yeah, on that Yeah, I was going to say, it's just that it makes it more relatable. And I think in some instances makes it more believable because, you know, you feel like, you know, I'm sure there's a level of staging with any phone. You know, we all pop on an Instagram filter every now and then just to, you know, jazz up the wrinkles a little bit. But um, it does give you that that essence of, you know, the realness and the, um, yeah, it's sort of the nitty-gritty of it. And it makes you more invested because you feel like, I guess, you've been told the truth as opposed to a pre-production video or whatever content it might be that's very much curated as opposed to that sort of, um, you know, off-the-cuff feeling. Yeah. And I think we switch off, you know, um, I think when something's too staged, it doesn't grab your attention because it's too scripted. It sounds too perfect. It's got all the rep. Leah and I did a workshop with Maz Farrelly, who we rave on about all the time. Um, She's great. (laughs) Who produced X Factor and her content had 8 billion views. And she talks about the fact in TV, when they get a script, they remove any of the white noise. So any of the... I'm excited, but I'm I'm so nervous or um, it's unprecedented times. And it's kind of almost like those cheesy expressions. We've got it as like a swear jar in Sales Redefined, so we don't use it. it. And I think that when you're kind of more informal and unscripted, you don't necessarily say as much of that as whether it's a thought out documented script. Correct. No, definitely. And I think I guess one of the other points to that is the relevancy of it. You know, um, as we see with B2C, you know, it is so relevant because they've got the finger of the pole, finger on the pulse of kind of what people are wanting right now, and making sure it's relevant so it connects. So I think bringing that into the B two B space um, is definitely something we can do more of because, as we know, like the more relevant it is, especially with all the content that we're creating for all of our campaigns, the more, the more relevant it is to the problems or the solutions that the the client is wanting or that the audience is wanting. It definitely hits the right notes, so and we get way much, way much more much more ROI um, and results from any of the campaigns. See, we're embracing real and human and mistakes. That's it. We're real. Like, see, we're not robots. (laughs) You can see that this is all unscripted. (laughs) No filters and and unscripted here. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's so good. It's so much more entertaining. Yeah, Um, I hope so. So the next one on our list, um, this one's yours, Leah. This one's definitely yours is owning your audience. Talk to us, what do we mean by owning your audience? Well, I think what we mean here is it's really about, you know, um, I think there was some, I can't remember, Abby, those Google statistics around that they have announced that whole the end to the cookie tracking piece, I think by 2023, I think it was. So, you know, um, meaning that now it's more relevant than ever for businesses to really develop a proper database. And I know we say proper, but um, an actual database that you can you can leverage. 
because, you know, we all need to make sure we're capturing the right audiences so that we can market the right messages to them. So um, I guess when I think of this, I think about, you know, how do we, we kickstart this in terms of, you know, what can we do to make sure we're capturing the right audiences? And I think one of the the kind of the tips that we put here in the trends was sort of about, um, what did we say, inbound excellence, I think is a little term that we use there. And um, I think a perfect example of that is sales redefined. You know, I think if you follow us, everyone knows we love a lead magnet, you know, and I think here, you know, we're quite good at producing those. Um, and it's about creating that value and the content that people really want to keep and share and that it really works. So and I think that definitely helps our lead generation success to our audience because we're creating the right content and the right tools to kind of take them through that sort of journey. Um, one of the other things I think I used to have um, – I used to have an old boss that it still burnt into my brain. I think it was 21. She was crazy. If she's watching this, you'll know who you are. Um, but her, <laughs> mantra, her mantra for our business was we are only as good as our database. Um, we were sort of an agency-led database and we would, we would do events and we would capture people. This is the old school before digital. Capture people's uh, business cards on entry and we would all sit there for hours entering people's details into the database to ensure that it was accurate. So I think that's something that sometimes we feel can get a little bit lost um, and in ensuring that, you know, your database is really relevant and you're capturing the right people and the right audience. Um, and it's also comes down to segmentation. I think that's really important piece that, you know, from the get-go, right out of the gates, you'll save yourself so much time and effort in the long run if you, you know, you can put, sorry, you don't want to paint all your customers with the same brush. It's really, and I was thinking about, about it the other day, it's kind of like treating your kids differently. So you've got this collection of your database where you've got all your children. You can't put them all in the same box. Some of them like, you know, some of them love potatoes. Some of them hate peas. You know, some of them love horses. Some of them love dinosaurs. You can't paint them all with the same brush. And I think it's the same goes with your client's database. You can't market the same content to all of them. So you really need to make sure that you can segment them down to making to make sure that it, you know, you're getting giving them the right content to deliver the right results. So it really speaks to them. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. I read a good um I read a good thing that I'm probably gonna butcher how I phrase this, but it was along the lines of like if you're on socials, you don't own your audience. So when Facebook changes mm. the algorithm and suddenly business related content or, or sorry, business pages isn't prioritized in your feed unless you've kind of, you know, asked to see it. And I'm yep. probably putting all of this terminology that people will hate. But anyway, you get my point overnight some of the traction that you would have been seeing through Facebook you know now Facebook is pay to play you can't get a lot of organic um, reach there was an mm. example we found in our research where TikTok had been mm. in India the government changed the legislation and overnight it was something I'm going to make up this number but it was something like oh there you go 600 million TikTok users vanished overnight and so it's kind of like it's yeah. not your audience it's borrowed whereas your database is yours and something I always think about as well is if you're ever considering selling your business then they're also looking at what do you own and right. people buy and sell businesses for their database and for their mm -hmm. user base so I think that yeah for sure um email and having your database is king and then if you guess if you've got to answer that question, well, how do you build your database? I think it comes back to Leah's point, which is how do you build a lead magnet? What we mean by a lead magnet is you provide some enormous value, something educational, something that people yeah. want. And in exchange, they give you their email address. So that might be a download. It might be a quiz. It might be a webinar. It might be a mm -hmm. cheat sheet. We've just done a challenge. And so there's an exchange there. We're going to give you some free education and some enormous value. You're going to give us the email address. This is of interest and, and off we go. And I think mm. that is kind of now critical to continue to grow your database, but then nurture your database from there. It's no point just collecting cards, so to speak. Yeah, that's You've got right. to do something with it. And I think, you know, another key point is, I think, what would we say, you know, that Lord of the Rings, you know, one CRM and CRM to rule them all. And I've seen, I go, you know, personally from all the companies that I've worked in, from the marketing perspective, the mayhem and confusion that is caused to sales and marketing and every other department that feeds into the business, logistics, you know, whoever it is, pre-sales, 
when there isn't one central point of truth. So, you know, when your sales are running their own database and then marketing want them to provide names to invite them to an event, you know, it's just a mess. It's just a total mess. So I think the importance of having that one central point of truth, that one umbrella, that one brain for the business is super important. And, you know, if anything, it just makes your life easier. Like who doesn't want easy or simple? So um, if you can kind of really make sure that all the content is driven into one place, um, it gives a visibility to every department, not just sales and marketing, but throughout the business or your organisation. Um, it's all centralised. And then everyone has the information at their fingertips for whatever reason that they need to, you know, touch base with your customers. That is such a good point. I'm so pleased mm. you said that. And I think it's also from a customer experience perspective. Yeah. Like, if you think about in your in your life, how frustrating is it when you phone, I was about to name companies, but when you phone <laughs> your mobile phone provider, your telco provider, and it's like, oh no, that's another department or we can't see that information, it's there. You know, as a yeah. consumer, as a customer, whatever you are, you expect there to be a single um, single view of the customer. And it's like, I don't yeah. care on that system. Yeah, or, you know, can't you see that I called you last week um, to request the follow-up on my package or, you know, that I RSVP'd your event last week, why are you following me up again? So, yeah, it just it makes sense. But I know it, it's so hard because a lot of businesses either migrate to new CRMs or I know there's that, you know, protective side from, you know, I know some sales guys I've worked with, you know, they're my customers and I need to, you know, keep it close and make sure it's managed and it's my information. But, you know, it's for the greater good really to make sure it's all kind of in together i agree that is a very very good one number four should we move on to number, number four? four yeah who doesn't like story time i think you know making time for story time i don't know you know who doesn't those of us that have children are probably a little bit over story time at night you know reading the kids reading the books you just want your kids to go to sleep um, anyway that's another conversation but um as we know i'm sort of from that marketing side of the fence you know and i have to say i do cringe when I hear a product pitch, I think it's just that way you've got a sales brain or a marketing brain. And so, you know, I think sales, yuck. Like you just kind of get that irky feeling sometimes. Um, you know, I think of it like that when you're shopping for clothes and, you know, and you get that getting hounded by the salesperson that's asking you if you need any help and do you want this or you're looking for pants um, and you feel like you're really being pitched to. And I think, you know, a really great way of, of changing that mindset in terms of that pitch is, you know, talk to your customers' needs and tell them a story, you know, make it sound exciting, talk about the problem and the solution, you know. And that definitely, I know for me personally, it makes it feel less yuck. <laughs> I know that's not the right word. I know you're from sales, so I don't want to offend you. Um, but it does, it does have, it has that less pitchy feeling. And like, who doesn't love a story and finding a little bit more out about it? So I think the perfect example of this, which you know, we use for ourselves and I know I've used in previous lives and we're using with a lot of our clients' campaigns at the moment is that story of social proof, you know, having a case study is just gold. If you can get, you know, there's nothing better than that social proof. Um, and I think, you know, you are kind of unconsciously having that personal element, um, even though you're, you're using it to promote your business, but it's such a great way to weave the story in without it sounding like product pitch um, to your clients. So. Yeah, it just, you know, it gives it weight. Case studies build trust um, and it really showcases your services, your expertise, all the um, the solutions that you sell if it's a product-based um, case study. So I've definitely found over my time that they are a winner um, in terms of that, you know, epitome of being able to tell a story. Yeah. From from my side, from my sales side of the fence, see, this is why you get both of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> two for the price of one. Um <laughs> I find it fascinating that if you look now on where where are sales teams investing in terms of training mm. and enablement, a lot of companies now are starting to invest in storytelling skills for sales mm. teams. Um, you know, we're storytelling beings as humans. And I know for me, when I meet a new prospect, rather than talking about how awesome we are, I mean, obviously we are awesome. If I talk around, I, I share stories of, you know, oh, well, when we worked with ABC and it doesn't even have to be customer names. It can be, look, mm. you know, some of the time we see this and I'm sharing stories. So I'm never talking about we do this and this is how much it is. And this is step one, two, three. I, I typically use loads of stories and people remember those stories. It brings to life what you're talking about it puts right. it in 
context into the real world. So I think that's a big area of investments for teams. Um, something I found really interesting recently, and I hope I don't butcher this one, um, Julie Masters, who you would have heard us talk loads about, and I talk about mm-hmm. all the time in the office. Um, she's been in one of our previous podcasts. She specialized in influence, if you haven't come across her. Um, she's the lady you need to know. She was telling me that the future of story time is actually now so advanced that um, there's people tracking the emotion in stories and using through like a Fitbit device. Um, they're tracking, um, playing ads for charities and seeing the emotion and how do you engage with it. And they can, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, They can track with 80% accuracy whether if you see that ad for the charity, you're going to invest or not. Wow, that's incredible. That's (laughs) insane. we come with technology. And so you look at how that's actually storytelling, blending with the world of technology. And so then you go, well, what's the future of that? Where does that play out? Hang on, could I, as a business, um have that same technology to go what are the chances someone's going to engage with my story Mm. Um, and I think it comes back to what we were saying before you know it's that kind of it's the humanness of it and it's the truth and it you know like we were talking about you know those real types of content it's the same with your case studies you know it's creating that story and it's kind of weaving the story and it's not just a simple pitch which really I know for most of us probably speaks to you more than you know reading a product brochure or a service catalogue or something um, or an advert um what was I going to say I was going to say just you know I know from a lot of the campaigns that we've been running at the moment um you know the stories and we find the best performing is when you know sales are the ones that are actually sharing you know more than when the content or the story is coming from the brand because I think we all expect the brands to tell a story you know that's a whole part of building your brand as a business is what's your brand story you know who are you what's your values and your mission and I think that's expected, but I think when then it's fed down through your team or your sales team or the humans that work within the brand, it definitely gets much more reach and we're finding much more traction um, on the campaigns that we're running where it's kind of being shared and those stories are coming from people as opposed to from the company or the brand. Yeah. I think a final um, top tip on that one would be something that we do internally. We do story time. Um, yeah, so we do. <laughs> we sit and read each other's kids books no we don't yeah that's right that would be kind of fun actually yeah well we can try that and every sort of four to six weeks Leah four to six yeah, weeks I think so yeah we get together as a team and we have story time so everyone in the business has to go around and share a story and sometimes it might be oh you know I got this feedback from a customer and it was so interesting um or oh do you know when I was positioning sales redefined to a new prospect I, I positioned it like this and I just found it worked or a recent one was um really random my husband had bumped into one of our customers it's all very incestuous and small world and <laughs> said oh this is what they said and I was like oh god I'd never put it in those words I'd never mm-hmm. thought about sales redefined in those words so I brought back the story to story time with the team and I said that's so interesting because if that's how they see us and that's how they're explaining us we could actually use that in our messaging and that's so powerful so how about we try that out so it's and and what I always find interesting for me is you know I'm not across all of the team's meetings or Leah's meetings Mm. or whoever in the business's meetings and so you don't hear some of that informal feedback so all coming together going when I said it like this, it really resonated, or this is the recent feedback I got, good or bad, and mm, then put right. it together with the story. And it's also hearing how other people tell your story. I think that's a really interesting part. Like, as you said, when your husband met, you know, hearing how someone else then describes our story and picking out the cherries and the gold nuggets of that and kind of weaving that back into how we present our story. Um, I find that's really interesting just because everyone explains things and tells their story in a different way. So definitely something to kind of keep you keep aware of and bring back to the collective table and use where you can number five five? oh you're going to be good at this one so number five is producing short videos and by short videos we are defining it as under I think it was under two and a half minutes from memory is defined as a short video Mm -hmm. um and basically focusing on the opportunity there We actually interviewed um, on our podcast a lady called Rebecca Saunders. She is awesome. She's a video ninja. 
And we were talking about if you could only have one video, what would it be? And she was saying, you know, if you're in a B2B corporate, it's back to what you were saying, Leah. And it was the case study. Yeah. But I think fascinating as well as when you look now at what are we consuming as content? It's nothing new, but it's more and more and more in terms of video. Mm, Thought no, on that one? No, I was going to say, when you said I'm going to be an expert on short videos, I automatically thought of my daughter and her um, love of TikTok. You know, it's short, just talk about short videos. They are short videos. But um, it also comes back to what we were saying before around making sure it's relevant. So even if you've got only a two-minute video, you've got to make sure you're saying the right thing and keeping it relevant to your audience to ensure that, you know, you're going to get them to, to dwell and actually watch the watch the video. So, yeah. um. But no, videos, I think, you know, they're definitely leading the charge in terms of engaging content. You know, I know we all kind of look at a little bit of everything, but I think video is still definitely up there in terms of um, the uh, eye-catching content that we're consuming at the moment. And I think it can be so many ways. So I was talking to one of our clients yesterday and they were saying that on their socials, video is the number one thing that drives engagement. Um, They've got quite a large following and that was really interesting to hear what was working. But it can also be... Um, in a completely different capacity, thinking about video with my sales hat on, mm. we're doing a five day at the time of recording this, we're just on day five of a five day challenge. Yeah. And one of the participants of the challenge texted me and said, Oh, I sent eight video messages um, ah. to clients or potential prospects reconnecting with them. And she said she sent eight video messages and she got a reply and a positive response from six out of eight. Because That's if you awesome. think about it, yeah, how many phone calls do you get a day? How many um, emails do you get a day? I'll use yeah. as well, I can talk about this one. I'll use my brother as an example. Uh, mm. My brother's allergic to sales and has an allergy to sales <laughs> and hopefully he's not watching this. Um, but Chris is a running coach and I got him to send video messages to some of his clients and prospects and just be like, hey, you know, how are you doing? How are you guys going? You know, yep. want to say, hey, check in on you, blah, blah, blah. There's some really good races coming up in 2022. Thought these ones might be of interest. Just wanted to say, hey, and see how you're doing, send. Mm. And it costs you nothing. It takes a few minutes. He got an awesome response from it because, again, it's such – if you look at high performance sales and what is working in high performance sales, personalization is the key. So that's mm. using video in a different way to have amazing engagement, particularly in, dare I say it, you know, the C-bomb COVID times when we're not necessarily... <laughs> it's a bit nervous there, I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. And I think, I guess that was from the sales perspective. I was just thinking from the marketing perspective, video is just kind of a little bit of a gift that keeps giving. You know, when you think of a two-minute video and all the different ways you can skin and reuse and repurpose that, you've got your case study video. But from that, you can create a 30-second trailer, which you can use on some platform. But then from there, I know we do that a lot with um, our campaigns, is then carve it up, which we'll probably do for this podcast, carve it up into snippets. And then you can keep repurposing the smaller snippets. So from one, say, two-and-a-half-minute case study, you've got all these other facets that you can kind of, how you can carve it up and kind of repurpose and reuse it. And, yeah, it's that kind of gift that keeps on giving. It's not going to go stale in six months like a, a PDF or something that's a little bit more static. That is a very good point. Mm. I like that point. Yeah. Um, so, oh, one last point on that one that we didn't discuss that was on our PDF. So by the way, what Leah and I are probably referring to, and I'm very non-subtly, if you're watching the YouTube video of this referring to, is we did a PDF download, which is the 2022 trends on a download. So what Leah and I are discussing, we'll put a link to it in the show notes yes. if you want to download it. Um, so Leah, this is a good one for us to talk about. We also said on our PDF, take notes from television and learn how to grab attention fast. And we were referencing Maz. Yes, that's it. The Tiger King. I think was her perfect example of you know how to catch audiences when we had our session with her she was talking about I think most of us have watched Tiger King begrudgingly out of interest and curiosity anyway but you know what was it that made us want to cat you know click on that stream and watch it and she was saying you know if you read the little bio or you it was just about you know cats like that's very intriguing but when they kind of wrapped it up and made it really interesting about you know murder and tigers and you know, corruption or whatever it worked out to be, you know, it was much more intriguing and you kind of have to really catch people from that first, you know, the, the first ad, like any of us watching TV, it's that first ad that kind of engages you. 
And again, going back to my previous point, she talks about cutting out the noise. You know, the reason TV is so punchy is they get the script and they whittle it down, down, down and Mm. down. And what therefore has to be on the video is there can't be any statements that are like, we're so excited about this. It's unprecedented times and all the phrases that just switch, make you mentally switch off. So Mm, I think that Yeah. And if you've only got two minutes because you're doing a short video, you've got to grab attention. Correct. Should we move on to number six? Yeah, this kind of is up your right up your alley. Bit of digital sales growth. Number six. <laughs> so number six, uh, digital sales growth. So yeah, I'm I'm uber geeky on this one. So I find this one fascinating, right? Because I will publicly declare I come from a background where I was hardcore on the sales side, and mm. I wasn't very much on board with the marketing side. Clearly, I'm paying the price now. Um, And what I think that if you now look at the stats on digital sales, right, um, in our region, um, buyers are engaging two times more with digital than traditional. And that's Mm. not just a COVID statement. That's also as younger buyers are coming through, more millennials are going to senior decision-making roles. There's a real change around some of the preferences. Not only that, buyers are typically not engaging with people until they're over 50% of the way through the decision-making journey. So if you've got to influence that first 50% before they've even reached out to you, before they've even reached out for a meeting or a request, or you even know they exist, that first point to influence them is typically digital when they're going to be doing their Googling and their homework and their stalking and their comparisons. And so I think you have to therefore have the digital preference. I know Gartner are predicting, um, I think it was by 20, there you go, 80% of interactions between buyers and suppliers will be digital by 2025. So it's not far away, is it? Mm. Well, yeah, it's just around the corner. And I think that that COVID has basically accelerated the digital sales journey by probably five years. I think it was going to happen anyway, but COVID has just turbocharged the digital sales journey. And then I think if you unpack that and go, well, what is digital sales? Because that's many different things. You know, it's whether you're on social media, it's whether you're digital in terms of, is it a webinar? Is it an idiot? Is it whatever digital format in multiple capacities? But it then blurs the line of sales and marketing because by the very nature of digital sales, you are treading on marketing's toes and vice versa. And therefore, it comes back to our previous point that the two have to be so tightly on the same page because otherwise digital sales, by the very nature of it, just doesn't even work. That's my, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> what are your thoughts on digital sales? No, I agree. And I think it comes back to the point we were saying before about marketing where it's that little bit of sprinkle of everything you know it's your a la carte menu where it's not the silver bullet so you know leading or starting a campaign or or any sort of you know interaction with your clients with you know a little bit of digital to warm them up and take them through that sales funnel but then you're still coming to the table with your face-to-face events or your you know your beer at the pub or whatever it is that speaks to your customers and you're not getting rid of that face-to-face or that you know personal relationship piece of it that I think most people in sales love so much uh, it's just another facet in, I guess, the chain of funnel or the, the campaigns that you're running. So, yeah, it's not sort of that one thing replaces everything else. It's it's all kind of using it all together. I'm really pleased you said that because whenever we mm. present this to clients, the phrase we always use is it's digital first, not digital only. So for me, I don't think it works if you go 100% digital for most of the clients that we're working mm. in. Right? We're not really doing e-commerce we're typically working the B2B space. Um, so digital first, and then it's knowing when to take it offline, like Leah just said, and have that human connection or the pub or whatever it might be, um, and taking it to that. And, and the other thing about this that I love is some of the times, some of the things we consider as stepping stones in sales and marketing to nurture a lead um, to the next step, it might be, I don't know, in traditional terms, an event, it might be something like that. Mm-hmm. And For a net new prospect, that might be, go back to our dating analogy, a third day. If I don't overly know about your business, your product, your service, am I really going to invest the time and effort to drive to the event, go to the event, be at the event, leave? So what digital sales also allows us to do is have some of those really low risk, low commitment touch points. So be it 
a P, some of a lot of what Leah and I are working on at the moment. We've got a PDF download. We've got a quiz. Um, we've got a webinar. We've got things like that. But we're doing it in a value ladder, so building stepping stones that kind of go from first date, second date, third date, and take people on the journey from one to the other. And then I think the final point of that, because this is definitely my soapbox one, number six, <laughs> it is your favorite. It is. You're not allowed, no, don't say it's, I'm not allowed to have favorites, but I do have favorite. This is my favorite. <laughs> I think you then have to nurture because there's no good having the first date and then not asking someone on a second date. Mm. And so that's where it's my high horse thing that you then have to nurture and follow up to the next step. So cool, you enjoyed the PDF. Do you want to take the quiz? Or you enjoyed the quiz. Do you want to come to the webinar? You enjoyed the webinar. Do you want to come to the free consult or the health check? And mm-hmm. so it's 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 nudging along each of those touch points. And that's what makes a digital sales funnel work. It's by looking at a campaign, it's an entire in its entirety. It cannot be a one-hit wonder that is just mm. one step in isolation with no second date. Like we always say when we're working on a campaign, what's the second date? And that to me is mm. what a digital sales funnel is. It, it's funneling, you know, moving along along the bus. Yeah, definitely. It's the multifaceted approach that we like to spruik and promote. <laughs> All right, I'll get are you off finished my with number six. I'm like, are you finished? Anything else for number six? Sorry. I got really passionate about that one. No. So you're gonna ha- I'll calm down. You can take number seven. So number yeah, seven. So number, yeah, number seven is, you know, we talk about enablement is not just for sales. So, you know, sale, sales enablement is not just for sales. It's basically for anyone within your business that interacts with your customers. Um, you know, we've got some statistics here and some numbers. Um, I can't remember these here, but um, it says here that 60, is that 68? 68% of customers expect demonstration of empathy when um you know dealing with your customers i don't know if you can elaborate on that a little bit more abby in terms of that you know the the soft skill of emotional intelligence because mm. that's really you know it's very vital for anyone that's customer facing um you know with your with your client the customers um Can't talk I- today. Sorry, I had that day yesterday where I just couldn't talk on video and I got so annoyed yeah. with stopping and re-recording <laughs> that I just gave up. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep going because yeah, we'll keep rolling. tells us it's grippingly human is what we're doing, Leah. Yes. And it is that's for context. It. It's raw. <laughs> for context to anyone listening or watching, we're recording this late on a Friday afternoon after an incredibly big week. So the reason that's Sorry. the reason we can't talk. <laughs> yes, correct. Thank you. Give us um, a month. So enablement is not just for sales is an interesting one for me as well, because mm. um, I what I have found working with companies is people typically say, well, that's not my job. That's sales. I'm not in sales. Now, mm. I would bloody say this, but I consider everyone is in sales, because if you have any shape or form of touch point with the customer, then you're in sales. And even if you don't directly touch the customer, mm. you're in sales. So if I use the analogy, let's use a comparison of a hotel. If the cleaner hasn't done a great job, you're in sales because you're going to impact whether I come to my hotel room and I go, oh, it's dirty and I leave a bad review. If you're the bellboy and you don't bring the bag up very quickly, then you're in sales. And so I think that every single person touches it. And what in terms of this specifically around enablement, um, we're seeing massive benefit at the moment. We've done some enablement with professional services companies. We've done enablement with technical teams, particularly in IT. it's going, you are in front of the customer, you are hearing from the customer, oh, this isn't working, or this is a problem, or we'd love to have Mm -hmm. more of that. You're in a position of trust. So you've got a choice there. You either go, which is what most people's default is, well, sales isn't my job. Worse than that, I don't want to look salesy, because heaven forbid, I look salesy in front of a customer. It's yuck, remember? It's yuck. No one wants to be sales. (laughs) You're not going to be invited on the podcast again, Leah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No. Um, I need to rein it back in. No, joking. Um, but if your default position is, well, I'm not going to have that conversation, mm-hmm. then um, you're going to miss a massive, massive, massive opportunity. So it's not that we're trying to turn technical teams, consultants, professionals into salespeople. It's trying to bring that awareness of you are customer facing, you have influence 
on the customer, you have influence on our brand, you you are in a position of responsibility when someone says, oh, this is rubbish, or we want to do this, to go, well, that's really interesting. Would you actually, you know, we could potentially help with that. Would, would you like it if we have a conversation about that? Or I talk to Bob about this and get him to come talk to you about that. Uh, the way I positioned it to one company was everyone's responsibility is to spot the leak in the roof. So if you go mm. into a customer and there's water all over the floor, there's a responsibility to go, huh, I've noticed there's a load of water on the floor here. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about getting that leak fixed? Because that, mm. that looks a little bit dangerous. Is that something that you're considering? And if they say yes, then fine, hand it over to the sales team. And I think that's why enablement is for everyone. That's how I look at it from a sales lens. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of our top, I guess, points to number seven's trend here around enablement is, you know, it's closing that gap between all the teams. I don't know, you know, when I started working for Sales Redefined, you know, a year ago in February uh, now, but um, we run enablement sessions on any campaign that we do, you know, where we bring sales and marketing and technical, anyone that the business feels like needs to be involved, the more the merrier. Um, and I remember the very first one I attended of our, I think I sat in the background and just had them muted and watched Abby, you know, do the magic. It was like an epiphany moment of like, why the hell isn't everybody doing this? Because, you know, coming again from that marketing perspective, you know, of making your life easier by like, why wouldn't you make your life easier by sharing and bringing everyone together and making sure that everyone is on the bus? So, I mean, in terms of our enablement sessions with a campaign, we run through all of the elements, you know, so that sales are aware about what is going to their customers, to my point before about, so they're not surprised if they're getting a call from Gary asking about the webinar that's coming in February. Um, you know, pre-sales are heads up about the campaign or the promotion that we're running. You know, marketing know that sales are aware of what they need to do in terms of follow-up. And I was kind of thinking about it the other day, and I kind of, I think I've been watching a lot of uh, doctor soap operas at the moment. But I was kind of thinking of around that sort of pre-surgery doctor consultation. I don't even just hang with me here, but I was thinking, you know, it's where you go in before someone has surgery and you get everyone involved in the room, you know, the loved one that's going to have to help people, you know, recover afterwards, the person getting the surgery, the doctors, the nurses, everyone's there together. What's going to happen, you know, what the steps are, you know, what to expect, you know, to make sure that everyone is doing what they need to do post-surgery to make sure the person doesn't die or goes back into hospital. And I think, that everything goes well. So I think it's that same sort of premise with a campaign or anything within your business, getting everyone in the same room and making sure everyone is across all the details and enabling everyone uh, from the get-go. It's just, as I said, you know, I hadn't personally done that in my marketing lives before. It was just that thing of marketing are running marketing and sales run sales and everyone just should automatically know what everyone else is doing and just do what we say they should be doing you know we need you to follow up on this or we need you to you know push this social out so I've definitely seen the benefit in it and I was just thinking gosh I'm an idiot why didn't we do this before (laughs) anyway went on a tangent there but yeah it's just really important I think to bring everyone on the same page yeah no I I agree I think it's now so much more than just sales and I think it's kind of a really outdated perception to go well you know only sales is responsible for sales no 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 Mm. it's everyone is responsible for sales and that's why everyone needs an enablement on it um because if you look at actually now high performance sales one of the biggest influences to whether you're going to achieve that revenue growth or that result is customer experience and customer Mm. experience is everyone's job or what we've talked about a lot in our download is um is around emotional intelligence. Well, that's also down to everyone. When I phone up support, do they have empathy in the fact that my printer is not working or my whatever is not working? So I really do think it applies to everybody in so many ways. Definitely. And just investing in the training of your staff and anyone in the business that has those touch points, you know, making sure that everyone's uh, feeling comfortable. Because I think the word emotional intelligence can freak people out. You know, people like, what does that mean? Do I have it? Do I not have it? Are you born with it? Do you get it? Like, how do I get it? So I think by investing in, you know, making sure there's training available, it definitely helps support, I guess, the full cycle. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree. I think, um, oh, God, I'm going to butcher this now. There was a world organization did a study on the top 10 things that we hire for. And I think something like seven out of 10 were factors mm. that ultimately relate back to emotional intelligence. And I know um, I'll actually name this one, Dell during COVID 
trained a lot of their sellers lead with empathy during this time. And a lot of what they did actually backed up around lead with empathy. And mm-hmm. I think people do remember how you act, you know. Um, I just read a book that um, was all around customer experience called The Power of Moment. Leah's trying not to laugh because of my constant like, Which book? I thought you were reading a different book. Abby's got a different <laughs> book on the go or multiple books on the go. I don't know. I can't keep up. My level of speed reading is not there. <laughs> My team find it hilarious because I come in and say, oh, suddenly something my favorite book. And they're like, but yesterday your favorite book was this one. It's like, yeah, yeah. move on. What's today? Yeah, I've read um, this book already since yesterday. So it's my new favorite. <laughs> one of the ones I've just read around, um, The Power of Moment. Now, this one I, I did bark on about a lot, Power of Moment. That actually talked about um, how we create experiences, how we create that moment. But it actually, um, when they did an analysis of customer experience and exceptional customer experience, mm. something like 25% of what was rated as an amazing customer experience was actually a negative that someone put right. So I've I've yeah. thrown up to complain, but then that person goes over and above. And then when they're, they're consulted, it's like, oh, wow, you know, this was going wrong, that was going wrong, but check out how they handled it. Mm. And so it's actually really, really interesting then because come back to our point around enablement is not just for sales. So much of sales is dependent on customer experience. It's Mm. knowing how to handle all of that with empathy that then is going to be what drives the business forward, what gets the positive word of mouth, what gets the NPS score up. It's all connected. 100%. Agree. Should we move on to number eight? Yes, all yours, number eight. So number eight is personalized account-based marketing, ABM, account-based marketing. So there's different names for this one, I feel. I probably shouldn't say that, but I'm going to. So the latest cool name is that everyone's talking about ABM and account-based marketing. Um, What this essentially means is let's just say you've got um, some prospects that are really high value, but maybe they're big accounts to try and crack into. It's not going to work by just sending them one PDF or one cold call or one email. It's not going to work. It's very much um, a strategic approach to get into a new account. And it's working through between sales and marketing. So this is when marketing come back together. Mm-hmm. Okay, if we're going to crack into one of the biggest banks in Australia or a big, you know, retailer or whoever it might be what is the strategic approach here have we researched them have we looked at what's relevant to them you know what is it so it's very much taking more of a personalized individual approach for each of the prospects and what's going to be our next steps as opposed to when I'm trying to target one to many and I've got more of a volume-based approach and that's where the digital sales funnel that we talked about fits this is much more targeted one-to-one. I had a a client call earlier and they were saying to me, right, we've got a list of 25 that we want to get into and and this is the list. So in which case, we're not going to do a one-to-many approach. It's going to be that one-to-one. So there's some of the stats that Leah and I found on this when we researched it. Um, So in 2022, 33% of marketers plan to invest in ABM for the first time. Last year, 62% of marketers leveraged account-based marketing. Um, Again, this has to have the alignment between sales and marketing because by Mm. default, you need to have the connection. The way we look at this is sales redefined. We don't really talk about it in that manner. The way we talk about it is more we follow the dream 100, which is a concept by Chet Holmes in the ultimate selling machine, uh, ultimate sales machine. um, Another one of my favorite books. (laughs) And just to make Leah laugh. And the concept that he came up with is um, write out your list of the dream 100 accounts. And then how do you, you know, every month, every couple of weeks, have a touch point, a connection point with that list of 100. So they go from, I have no idea who you are, who the hell are you, to like, God, I keep on hearing from these guys to, okay, I need to find out what you do, to Mm -hmm. then work together. So we actually just did this recently. Um, and we just got, I'm going to be careful how I word this. We just started a relationship with a new client. I think it took two years worth of dating, mm. consistent touch points, turning up. Hey, I saw this and thought of you. We've put on this webinar. We thought you might find valuable. Hey, we've done this research that we thought would be really good for you. And we wanted to share it with you, you know, whatever it might be contributing. So very much contributing, educating, adding value. Mm-hmm. And some of, actually thinking about it, some of our largest accounts, it's taken us one to two years to crack into so you therefore have to have this sort of plan to it of how do I create multiple touch points over that period of time because you can't just touch them once and then give up 
And I think it's just everyone having the understanding that this is a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, that account-based marketing tactic, it's not that, you know, it'll happen overnight, but it will have, you know, it, you're going to have to plug away, as we've just said, in our experience with a lot of our customers, it's taking like one to two years to kind of finally, you know, warm them up and get them on a date, really. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of everyone being aware and understanding that it's your, you know, your long game, not your short game. Totally. And I think... We talk about that a lot of it being a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And I think if you're going to take an ABM braced approach, that's what you're signing up to. Correct. There's no false expectations there about, you know, what you're going to expect by the end of the week. Yeah. Love that. Number nine. Number nine, number nine is AI and sales. Um, I kind of like this one because my background is IBM and AI has always been a big talking point and always been really cool and all those things. Um mm. And I think that it's always, it used to feel so far out of reach and like in the future. And now it's kind of more, you know, to leverage AI-based tools is actually affordable. It's accessible. It's not just for the big enterprise accounts. You know, we've got various tools that have various levels of automation and sophistication behind them. So I think this one's kind of interesting because of the fact it is actually more, um, it's more obtainable. Um, some of the stats for you that Leah and I found, um, AI adoption for sales teams is projected for 139% growth, 139% that was, mm. growth over the next three years. And that was a study done by Salesforce. One of the things that is being predicted, and this is sort of really obvious when you think about it, is so much of a salesperson's job is manual or admin. And if you look mm. at a salesperson, you know, a lot of sales roles, they're pretty pricey roles and headcounts to have in your organization. Um, one of the stats I read recently, something like 57% of salespeople didn't achieve their quota last year. Well, if you remove a lot of the admin, a lot of the manual, a lot of the non-revenue contributing tasks, then your sales force are far more likely to achieve their target. Um, so I think AI taking away manual tasks or sort of basic tasks that can be um, removed from the sales team's to-do list and therefore making your team more productive. Um, and happier, I would say. You know, sales, my experience, they hate the admin, you know. If you ask them to review contact, you know, it's all the nitty-gritty. They just want to be selling and they want to be reaching their target. So, yeah, 100% agree. Totally statement. agree. We do not like admin. Um, no. <laughs> I think the other way we use it in Sales Redefined um, and that we're encouraging a lot of accounts to is actually lead scoring. So mm. you look at it at the moment, you know, no one seems to me to tell you about the data sprawl that we're having. We're having so much more data, but that's useless unless you can do something meaningful from it. So um, we do a lot of lead scoring. So if people have engaged with your email, they've engaged with your website, they've engaged with something or other, you can kind of go, okay, these guys are really, you know, engaging with us a lot and therefore far more likely to actually want to go on and have a further conversation. So as a sales team, you should prioritize these guys versus mm. these other ones who don't engage with anything. They've not visited the website. They're showing no interest. So those ones can go lower down the list. And again, I look at that and go, sales teams often just used to be given lists. So go call these 200 people. Well, going through a list of 200 people takes a long time and it's hard work. I would much mm. rather get a list, which is, hey, here's 200 people, but these 20, these ones are the ones to prioritize. We know that speed is important. So go through these ones first. So mm. I think that that's where it's going to start to get quite interesting. And I'm sure it'll get a hell of a lot more sophisticated from there. That's just scratching the surface. Yeah, it's just the beginning. So I think you're at number 10. Number 10? You do number 10. Yeah. Funny, just actually before we joined to do this podcast, I sent um, one of the best sales guys I've ever worked with that, you know, still friends with. I um, I sent a little snip saying, yes, what, I'm on a podcast. We're doing a podcast, Dust Marketing Podcast. And he's replied, you've got a typo. Why is there an S in front of marketing? And I was like, you are so 20. It's marketing. It's the alignment between sales and marketing. You're so 2020. And obviously promptly apologized and was like oh but I was like you know it is the it's the future it's the way forward marketing is where we're headed and you know it's kind of jumping on what we've been saying before I think we've touched a lot on you know this marketing piece which you know how we refer to that alignment between sales and marketing but it is so important I know again from you know my background and being you know in the marketing only seat 
you know, being responsible for planning and creating and rolling out all those campaigns out to market, um, you know, I was doing it without the input of sales. It's very shameful to say now where it was just that we thought, you know, we want to do this, we're going to run it this way. And sales, you know, again, were wondering, you know, what's going on, what's it all about um, with no heads up, which I now know better. And it's, um, you know, I've been taught in the ways of marketing. But, you know, even just seeing the campaigns that we're running, the best results that we've ever had or that we have is when we get the buy-in from sales. Um, so by running, you know, whether it's regular catch-ups between sales and marketing before a campaign goes out, um, you know, just making sure everyone's got the intel that they need. Um, from our discovery sessions, this is just an example that what we do with the campaigns that we run, where we have those sessions before the campaign even is conceived to get the the, the, te- the intel from sales, marketing, management, technical, whoever it is that needs to contribute because, you know, I think we underplay, you know, the importance that everyone has and everything that everyone can bring to the table. I know marketing sometimes think we know best because we have a lot of analytics and, you know, our finger is on the pulse. But, you know, there's so many different perspectives that each department that can bring into the table here. So, you know, we really shouldn't be taking that for granted. Um, You know, that collective brains trust of your colleagues and your business um, is super important to making sure you've got the right messaging going to your customers, Um, especially with sales, because, you know, they're the ones with their feet on the street every day talking to the customers, you know, getting the angry phone calls if something hasn't, you know, gone the right way. Or So, you know, that's marketing approach. Again, another epiphany moment. We've had a few of these from joining Sales Defined, but definitely by bringing everyone together, it just, I can't even say, like, the results that you get is just exceptional by far, more than just running in silos as each department. And I think a lot of people traditionally do. Mm, I agree. Yeah. I think... Um, so a couple sort of fun facts for you on that. And, you know, if you follow us, you would have heard us talking about these. Mm. Um, statistically speaking, only 8% of companies have a strong alignment between their sales and marketing. But when companies do bring a strong alignment between their sales and marketing, um, they generate 209% more growth and more revenue. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we've put number 10 is marketing on our trends because, it's so hard to stand out. It's so hard to get competitive differentiation. And this is one of the few ways we are seeing. And like Leah said, when we've done this on campaigns and brought the two together, um, it saved us having a campaign that would have been a flop because yeah. you know marketing might have an idea and say, hey, we want to do a campaign on ABC. We go talk mm-hmm. to sales and they say, oh, you know, at the moment, this is the hottest thing we're hearing and no one's interested in that now. It's this or vice versa. Um, so it, it, it sort of avoids what could have been a flop. But when we have done that, getting everyone on the same page, we've had campaigns in excess of 2000% ROI. Now, that is unheard of. And that is so hard to achieve. And so I think for me, what I love about this is it's so hard to be different. It's so hard to get a competitive differentiator, like I just said. And so this is one of them. And so, you know, this is the opportunity. Um, so for me, I just think this has to be prioritized this year because otherwise you are going to miss out to your competitors who have got their ducks in a row a bit more. Um, I guess two other stats on that. We we did a white paper and I'll put this in the show notes. We did a white paper on the state of sales and marketing and it found that um, this was a LinkedIn study, this particular one, nine out of 10 sales and marketing professionals don't feel like they're in alignment on KPIs, mm-hmm culture, strategy, nine out of 10 do not think their sales and marketing are in alignment. Yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Even the other statistic we've got there, about 50% of marketing leads, you know, are ignored by sales and it kind of a dagger to the heart. I'm like, that's what happened all those years ago. All these marketing leads were sent through and no one followed up. But you can see why, because they didn't see value in the campaigns that you're running. So, you know, by getting everyone together and, on, you know, across the same page, it, it definitely pays off. And I think, you know, we were saying about getting everyone together, it doesn't have to be a grand big thing. I think that's another thing to to mention. I know um, at a previous company I worked with, marketing would just get a 15-minute slot within a sales meeting. And that was enough to give the team a collective overview of what campaigns are running. Keep your eye out for this social this week. You know, we've got the event coming in three months, you know, reminders. So you don't have to go big. You can just start by, you know, incremental elements of bringing everyone together and I think when you you can get everyone together the best connections I've got and some of the greatest friends that I have from people in sales is when we've all got together for off-site sales and marketing kickoffs and we've all got to know each other and we can actually see 
the issues and the, you know, the constraints that we all have in our departments. And then you can kind of appreciate the work that your colleagues are doing a little bit more and it kind of removes the barriers a little bit, you know, where it's marketing and sales. Everyone just mellows and kind of works a bit more cohesively. So, yeah, start small. If you can't start big, you know, with a big session, I think just get in where you can. Yeah, I totally agree. And that actually plays quite nicely to one of the stats that we also have in the white paper, which you can download from the show notes is um, I think it's one third of sales and marketing teams don't talk regularly. So exactly like Leah's saying, it can just be small, it can just be 10 minutes. Uh, it can just be getting together, everyone together once a quarter, you know, start yeah. small. And I guess a, a side point I'll, I'll sort of do on this one as well is if people are listening and I know some people who follow us they might have a really really small team and they don't have a sales Mm. and marketing department even in sales we find we're a small business we're a small team Mm. we still think marketing so we still think when we send an email when we do that LinkedIn post when we do that Instagram post whatever it might be or when we run that webinar we still think through how does this marketing activity we're doing socials, whatever it might be, how does that start building the journey and nurturing people towards sales? So even if you are a one-man band, a small team, and you don't have that necessarily divide of departments, you're not at that size, we still have to force ourselves to go, right, the challenge that we're doing this week, how, that's an awesome idea, it's great, but how does that play a part? And so it's still thinking marketing, even if you're small. Definitely. You know, what's the next step? That you've burnt that into my brain, Abby. What's the next date? With Valentine's Day coming up, what's the next date? It's always about the next date. So, um, yeah, super important. So, um, look, Leo and I could talk about that for hours. As you can hear, it's sort of a topic we're really passionate about because we see the proof in the pudding every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to know more about that one, feel free to download the white paper, as I've mentioned, from the show notes. You'll, you'll get some really good insights on that, and that unpacks a little bit more why there's the disconnect and some top tips to kind of start repairing the relationship and so on. So that is our our 10 trends. Leah, anything you want to add before we... No, I was just going to say, make sure, I know we've kind of covered off the 10 trends now, but um, we actually have some bonus trends um, in the download. So, you know, there's a little bit more that we haven't divulged today. So, you know, if you're interested, download it for a a few extra tips there just to keep keep you going. I missed that one. So well done, Leah. Well, bonus. Yeah, I threw in a bonus in there. Oh, you did. You threw in a second date. That's it. Thank <laughs> <Sunk> in. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much to the lovely Leah for joining Pleasure. me. I'm very excited. I'm going to lower the tone. I'm very excited that you've um, you've popped your podcast, Cherry, and done your podcast. I know. I, was gonna, I didn't know if that was inappropriate to say on the podcast, but I thought it is. It's my very first podcast. So I'm very excited. Hopefully, yeah. uh, we can use some of the stuff that we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't feel free to give us your feedback, and if you want Leah on all the time, please feel free to personally message me so that I can hound and harass her and get her back on the podcast. Gosh, yeah, happy to. Great. Thank you very much, Leah. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, Everybody enjoyed that and got some practical tips. Check out the show notes. So we will put in the white paper between sales and marketing. We will put mm-hmm. down the 2022 trends, which, as we mentioned, there's a couple of bonus trends. Um, and there's a bit more detail in that with practical yep. recommendations of how you can implement it. And we've got further resources if you're interested on our website. So thank you, Leah. And mm-hmm. we'll have you back again. Yay. Thanks, Abby. Thank you for tuning in. Now, before you leave us, if you would like to download our latest white paper on the state of sales and marketing, which unpacks four steps to drive hyper growth in your business, please visit whitepaper.salesredefined.com.au. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss a future episode. And finally, we would absolutely love it and appreciate it if you could leave us a review and maybe even share with a friend. We'll see you next time.